0: Hello and welcome to the Fish on Ted podcast, where we talk about the business of hunting and fishing. Hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast, and I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We're recording this on September the 10th of 2019. It's a very special date, obviously, in our history, and really, in regards to, uh, at least me personally, the uh, topic that we're going to cover today. I have a gentleman by the name of Jason Hayes, and Jason is going to tell us about his guide service, and he actually has a custom uh, boat service, uh, building boat service also, but I'm not going to steal his thunder. Hey, Jason, are you there? I'm here. Terrific. Hey, how are you doing, Jason? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. You bet. Well, I appreciate uh, you sharing your time. I know you've been guiding and building boats, and, and uh, I would imagine there's very little time for sleep in, in, in your calendar right now. But I thank you for taking out the time today to uh, talk with us.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Perfect. Well, Jason, I, you know, I, I know that you build wooden drift boats and uh, have for quite some time, it sounds like um and you grew up in in the Eugene Springfield area Well, actually the McKinsey River is uh the river or one of the rivers that runs through it but how in the world did you ever get the bug to be so involved in the fishing industry and then the boat building industry
1: well um it's funny i i actually i was working at, as a millwright at the time out at uh a uh, local mill over in Eugene and um i I had decided I wanted to start guiding. Um, yep. I, I've always been fishing my whole life, and uh, I, I decided, well, I want to I build my own boat. I've got the skills to do it, and, and uh, I've, got, I've got all the resources to do it. So I was, I was just looking online, trying to find ways to uh, find some plans and, and uh, figure out all the logistics of, of welding up my own boat because I, I did a lot of welding, Oh, okay. Had all the equipment to do it, and I was, and I was researching online. And I came across a website. It was Greg Tapman Boats, and mm-hmm. um, he was selling kits at the time. And I had always been a woodworker growing up too. Um, I loved woodworking, and I go, you know what? I want to build a wood boat because uh, it just makes sense. Um, and uh i you know i didn't see a whole lot of them out on the river they were kind of far and few between when you're out on the Mackenzie. and um but when you did see them they're you know they're the most beautiful boat that you saw on the water and, mm-hmm. and i said i'm going to build a wood boat so i got in touch with greg and i ordered up a kit and i hung out at the shop for a little while and and kind of tried to learn a little bit from them and uh Built my first one. It took me about five and a half, six weeks, and I had it on the water. It was <laughs> funny. It was actually Mother's Day, and I ditched my mom to go out on the river for the day with a friend of mine. And <laughs> <laughs> and that was the first day I rode my first wood boat. But
2: um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I called my mom so I didn't I didn't completely ditch her but I, I I had the bug I had to get that boat on the water. I felt yeah. I felt like kind of a jerk afterwards but <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh that's that that's funny. I hope mom has forgiven you.
1: Yeah, I I'm sure she has.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well well terrific. Uh, terrific. Well yeah, so you, it, it was interesting. So you were going to be uh welding up your own drift, uh, own drift boat, and then when you ran across Tapman's design and kits and that sort of thing, you changed that over the wooden drift boats, and you sort of carried that to the extreme, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I, after I built the first one, I kept thinking, you know, I can, I can improve on what I've done. I, I, I can build a better boat. And I know I can, I can do some better work than I did. I probably changed a couple ways that I assembled it, things like that. And then as I learned more, because I was still pretty green as far as running a drift boat, too. I hadn't been doing it for too many years before I built my first boat. Yeah. And um, and so I, I I didn't know a lot of the dynamics of the boat and why they handled, why they did, because of the boat shape, things like that, and how different boat shapes handle in different types of water. And mm-hmm. and over the years, I started learning more about that, and I started designing more boats um, um, to fit those different types of water right. and um, it, just, it just started making sense. But five or six years into it, just kind of playing around with it and building different boats, um, it, I think that helped me to understand um, how important different hole shapes are for different types of water. And, um, and and then rowing a beautiful boat, you know, constantly all the time, not wanting to scratch it, not wanting to bang it up, things like that, Mm -hmm. I think it helps become a better oarsman too, because you don't have to, I mean, when you're out on the water in an aluminum boat, you can bang them around pretty good and you don't have to worry about it too much. Right. And, um but over the years you know it, that doesn't matter so much to me either you know we we're running class 3 class 4 water all the time now and you, it's a given you're going to beat the heck out of your wood boat anyhow so mm-hmm. you just you embrace it you know they they gain character and i actually i've learned to kind of embrace that character in the wood boats i think they become the older they get the they get that patina and the, all the yep. little marks in them and i think they become more beautiful actually
0: I, but, I, I agree, you know, and, and and you hit on something there that, um, you know, that resonates with me, is that you really become attached to these things because of, you know, all of the, the work that you put into them and, and you know, people making comments on the river about how beautiful they are. And it really is a very unique experience owning a, a, a wooden boat, isn't it? Oh, definitely.
1: I mean, it just... Yeah, and you get out there and that boat becomes part of you it's just an yep. extension of you yeah. and uh i mean it, not only is it a tool for for um, for navigating down the water but it, it really does become a part of you uh your the it's the whole setup it's your boat your oars your your seat position everything about it and yeah. the way you set your boat up it becomes second nature Yep. And, um, you just, you, you feel everything that's going on around you, the water hydraulics, how they, I mean, if you've ever been on the lower, the lower rogue and you've gone through Mule Creek Canyon
2: mm-hmm. and, uh,
1: just becoming part of that boat and, um, and running through that Canyon with those crazy hydraulics and, yep. and those upstream currents and, and coffee pot and, it's just, you know, just a little twist of the oar makes all the difference in the world running through some of that water, and um, yeah, it does. You just it becomes instinctual. Yeah. In those different those those different rivers, and it's uh, yeah. it's pretty special.
0: Yes, you you, you can feel the passion in your voice. You know, I'm sitting here and 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 i and and I I'm I've got a little tear in my eye, and I. <laughs> I had had mentioned, you know, that I had uh, had a real special um, uh, opportunity in my life to build a wooden drift boat back in the 90s. And we put a lot of passion into it. It was a great looking boat, you know, and uh, in about 19, uh, well, about 2000, actually, I moved to the Portland area to uh, work another position. And I drug the boat with me and just was not getting it out much. And uh, with some encouragement from others, they suggested that I sell the boat because I wasn't using it. Gosh, I just hated that thought. Really <laughs> yeah. hated that thought, you know. And and uh, there was always plans. Every day, you know, every time you walk out in the garage, you go, you know, I got to get this thing out, you know. And so eventually, I caved in, and I put the uh, boat up for sale in August of 2011 and uh we, we weren't getting many bites on it it was on craigslist and and i uh listed the boat you know at a, at a fairly reasonable price i thought and then the first week of september it wasn't moving and i thought well, okay we'll drop it a couple hundred dollars more and so i had the boat and the trailer and the whole thing on the market for about 1200 dollars. and uh, then september 11th came along and we were in the oh. family room watching the towers come down, you know, and God, what a gut-wrenching thing that was to watch. And the phone rang. And this guy called me up and he goes, you still have your boat. And I go, are you not watching TV? I don't know why you're calling, you know, but he was very adamant. He wanted to come by and look at the boat. And I go, okay, well I'm here, you know, come on by. And so he drove up to the house. I think he was from Vancouver and I was living down in the Tigard area and he drove down to the house and he fell in love with the boat and he bought it on September 11th. Uh, and uh, that was a day of reckoning for the nation. It was really a day of reckoning for me. Oh my God, I lost my boat that I built, you know. About, right,
2: right.
0: You know, I wow. uh, haven't replaced it yet, but I'm I'm going to be doing that very soon. Um, yeah. But you you really get attached to these things, don't you?
1: Oh, you definitely. And it's uh, sometimes they're, hard to let go of too i mean um sometimes it's time for the boat to go on and yeah and uh and there's other times you you just want to do the repairs on it and you want to keep it but yeah. like i'm i'm struggling with that right now i actually have one of my my boats for sale that i've had i've been running it for six and a half years now and uh-huh. And I just refinished the whole thing, and it it looks like brand new again, other than the you know the little character marks that it gets over six years of you know right. being on the water and guiding and and running down the canyon and. um mm-hmm. uh, But uh, yeah, if but I don't have a whole lot of extra space in the shop <laughs> to to build boats and store them too, so.
2: Right. Uh,
1: I'm I'm on the fence. Do I do I sell it or do I just find a place to p- put it for now? And, yeah, because uh, it's it's a sentimental value too. It's it's seen a lot of river miles and it's had a lot of uh, yeah. special first times on the river and things like that. So,
0: but well, uh, well, yeah, well, as as a boat builder, you must have some really interesting skill sets because it, that when we were building uh, the boat, I built and and I was just kind of the guy handing my brother-in-law, thank you, Ray, I'll, I'll plug you here, um, you know, uh, uh, screws and, and making sure that he had a, a fresh battery in his drill. And so I was <laughs> over, you know, behind this. But, but it, you know, like you were saying, it, take, it took us six or eight weeks to build this darn thing, and we were really committed to doing it. But, you know, my brother-in-law, Ray, has a Ray Cabinetry, a Ray Blank Cabinetry in Eugene and uh he, his skill set was incredible at, at dealing with this, and um, you must have the same sort of uh skill set it sounds like were were you in in construction at the time or something
1: no um, I was mostly just kind of a little bit self taught a little bit, and a little bit of coaching here and there. Um, I did some woodworking with my grandpa. He wasn't a real big like meticulous woodworker but um he, he did things here and there and so huh. as as a small kid you know eight nine years old, ten years old, we were always building something and uh, Grandma encouraged it she I spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up and yeah um, so we were always building something being creative and and um, uh, but it was mostly just um, self-taught uh, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of reading and research and then just trying to apply what I learned and um you know I had I had the typical wood shop classes in in junior high and high school and um you know the the little bit that they did even even then in the in the early 90s they still they didn't allow you to do so much but um it, you learned enough to get yourself in trouble you know so sure. um but, uh, yeah, I just kind of – I always kept building stuff. My dad was also uh, always working with wood. He never did a lot of, like, fine cabinetry or furniture or anything like that. Uh, uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I think I encouraged my dad more over the years to up <laughs> his skill set, and we just learned a lot, you know, side by side. And – um it's funny this this boat here that I'm actually selling right now um, as he got into building some little model kits. Oh yeah. And, and so he was taking all the dimensions as I designed this boat and mm-hmm. he built a uh a, a 1 to 12 model of the boat that I'm actually sitting in it in the shop right now while we're talking. Oh really? <laughs> uh, But he built it um, to replicate exactly, with all the different species of wood and everything else, he did just the scale of exactly what I was building. And he gave it to me as a present when I was done with the boat. Wow. uh, And it it actually, it turned out really great. We we took measurements with a micrometer and and checked it out, and I'd, and and Dad did a great job. It, it had all the exact specs. It was right to scale, and I was like, wow, Dad, you really nailed this. It's a good job. But, oh, that's uh, cool. But that... uh, the year my wife and I got married, the thing was sitting up on the mantel. Yeah. And um, we had an earthquake here in Springfield on 4th of July at 9 o'clock in the morning.
2: I remember it that. It,
1: off, it knocked it off the mantle and it hit the... Hit the hearth and just broke it all up, and it's like, oh, oh gosh.
0: Oh. <laughs> hey. hey dad, can you build me another boat, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I've still got it. I just gotta fix it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh geez. So so when when was that turn that you made from building your own boat to now building boats for others?
1: Um, gosh. It it took a while before I did that. Um, it was mostly mostly what I did was I was just selling the boats that I had built and I'd, I'd run them for a year or two and and then sell them. At uh-huh. one point, I think I had about six boats at oh, one oh. time. Oh gosh, I stacked them all up. I I had a couple different Costco tarp uh, canopies that I <laughs> that I threw them in in the backyard. I had yeah. like a boat boneyard yard in my backyard at my place in Springfield at the time and huh? um you know, I was a bachelor just having fun and everything. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't until I I think it was about two thousand ten where I started getting a lot of guys actually inquiring to have me build them a boat. Mm-hmm. And um and yeah, it's, it's funny how it just kind of started to evolve. And, and I always thought about doing it. And I, I kicked myself when, when uh, Greg Tapman actually sold his business. Oh, uh. Uh, I was interested in buying it, but I, I didn't have the financial means at the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I had just bought a brand new truck and a house right, that, right at that same time period. Oh wow! And it was—it wasn't more than two or three weeks later when um, one of the guys that worked at the shop, his name was Buster Ross, yeah. told me that Greg was was uh, putting the business up for sale. I, was, I started kicking myself in the butt. Ugh. I was like, "Gosh, that's yeah. a perfect starting point. It's already an established business, and you just grow it from there." Right. And <laughs> and uh, the guy who ended up buying it, he. He uh, he did it for a couple of years, and then he ended up selling it to a good friend of mine, Randy Dersham, and yeah, and um, they 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 had some success with the business for a while, but it wasn't as profitable as they wanted it to be, and mm-hmm. um, so they closed the boat shop down, and and it just sat idle for years and years and years. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that kind of thing works, and then you know, there's there's only a handful of guys that were doing it. Don Hill, you know, had kind of retired at that point, you know, right. 19, 20 years ago, and um, there's Ray Ray's River Dory's up up in the Clackamas area. Mm-hmm. Um, he Ray just retired a couple of years ago, but his, oh. his partner Cyrus is still building a few, um, and then. Uh, my good friend mike baker over in bend he's yeah. he was he was building drift boats for a while and he just hung it up this year he just he just built his last kit for somebody and he's he's not interested in doing it anymore
0: oh wow
2: uh,
1: so
0: on so your there's
1: really there's yeah. really not a whole lot of people left doing it and, and yeah. uh and even well, you... steve Steele, steve yeah. Steele is basically done he said he's only interested in building maybe a boat a year wow because really? uh, he he just finished the very last um two sheets of plywood that he had that his dad had bought mm-hmm. back in the 60s and he went he finally went through all that material that his dad bought up and had warehoused and yeah. uh and there's none he he doesn't know that he wants to use any other material now mm-hmm. uh, he thinks dad would come straight out of the grave and kick
0: his butt so <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that that story that you told you know about you know building a boat and then having others come in and uh look at it and, and and encouraging you to build them boats my my grandfather and i i was i was really young at this time and in, in in the in, uh, when this was going on or it was before i was born but my grandfather used to manage the Safeway store when it was in Glenwood of all places. And so if you are a longtime uh, Eugene resident, um, you may not even remember that there was a Safeway store in Glenwood. But in the back, I don't. He, yeah, in the back he had a little shop and he was out there and he'd, be, he'd build a boat. And I remember him talking, telling stories about, you know, he would finish a boat and then somebody would wanna buy it. And, and he talked a couple of times about, you know this boat's not for sale and then they would cough up you know more money than he ever expected so crap now he's got to build another boat is he going to sell that one he can't pass up that and the last boat that he built was a cedar boat and uh, there was i guess there was a doctor in town that he was very good friend with doc bump i think is the guy's name and i could have that wrong but but uh, I, I i remember the story well that uh, Doc Bump, uh, you know, came over to look at my grandfather's cedar boat about a week before they were going to row it down the McKinsey. And he goes, this is not built right. It's going to leak, you know. And my grandfather (laughs) said, you know, this is not going to leak. I've built all these boats before. Doc Bump was insistent that the boat was going to leak. and So they bet $5 that the boat was not going to leak or or (laughs) was going to leak. And so uh, that next weekend, my grandfather took it out, and he gets it on the water, and uh, he's in the um, uh, on, on, in the oarsman seat, and he looks down, and he's got a little fountain of water coming up between his his feet, and he kind of you know separates it down and looks at it. Well, Doc Bump had taken a drill and drilled out a little hole right there. <laughs> And my grandfather had a wooden match with him, always had carried wooden matches. And he took that wooden match and he jammed it into that hole and broke it off. And it it sealed the leak. And uh, he got back the next week, Doc Bump, I guess, stopped by to see him and asked my grandfather, did it leak? And my grandfather, nope, nope, just tight as can be, Doc. And Doc Bump paid him his $5. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, dirty, is, dirty old doc that's that is exactly right that is exactly right so, how, so i'm just curious how many boats are you building uh on a yearly basis now jason uh right now uh, i've had seven boats through
1: the shop already this year wow. and um i've got three more to do this year uh-huh. uh there's there's not a hurry on them because they're they're going to be guide boats and they won't need them until next spring, so I can actually take my time on them. But if I if I get any more orders, then of course that's going to that's going to set me back. So I'm going to need to. Uh, I, I like to get them done as quick as possible, just to keep my schedule open for more business if, mm-hmm. if, uh, if it does come in. Right. Um, we just we just moved to this place out in Cedar Flat about almost two years ago. Uh-huh. And the shop, the shop was a good starting point, but it's still not as uh, as big of a shop as I need for the capacity that I'm putting through here. Right. So I'm actually uh, we're looking at expanding the shop this next year, um, which is it, it's difficult to do when you're already running a business, a, a boat shop, and guiding at the same time. So. Um, I may actually have to hire some help to do it. I like to do things myself, and, mm-hmm. and uh, but I may have to just break down and resolve to, uh, hey, i, I got to have somebody else do the work for me because yeah. I don't have the time.
0: Yeah, so, no, so I sure understand that. So yeah. in, in, re- in regards to drift boats, there are many different materials that people are using now. You know, some of the most common, uh, of course, are wood. They've been around forever. Uh, aluminum boats have become very popular. Um, some of the, you know, the fire, many of the fiberglass boats are now the composites. And, and now I, I talked to a guy the other day in Tennessee that is molding boats out of plastic. And uh, uh-huh. I thought that was interesting. How, how does a wooden boat compare with the other types of materials that are available? For people right now in regards to you know the ease of rowing and maintenance and that sort of thing
1: well i've rowed just about all of them out there um the the thing that i will say is uh an aluminum boat is is a is a great choice if you're looking at something that's going to be low maintenance and you can bang around pretty good and 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 be okay with it
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know you, you don't want to bang them up too hard you know especially on your china area welding costs are really expensive oh, you yeah. know when you're looking at 175 dollars an hour for shop labor it's uh it, it can be awful expensive to do repairs on a on a on an aluminum boat as well but um Wood boats will take any impact you throw at them um, if they're built right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's guys who have, you know, punched holes in the bottom or the sides of their drift boat running canyons with sharp granite rock, things like that. But there's, there's things that you can do to minimize that um, and uh, keep your boat on the water and mm-hmm. keep it safe same time safety is number one you don't want to be you want to run the right craft for the right river of course
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but uh wood boats can take one heck of a beating and um you know like like a lot of the guys that i run with that we will all keep um like some flex seal tape or something like that and in, in our boats or gorilla tape things like that if you uh-huh. if you do have a, a little hole that you puncture in your boat or something like that, um, it, it can happen. Um, even the best oarsman out there that, that's been running a river 40 years
2: mm-hmm. may,
1: may, you know, run into a situation that's never happened before. Right. Um, Mule, Mule Creek's a great example of that. If you've ever been through Mule Creek and through Coffee Pot, it's, it's different every single time you run it. It's never mm-hmm. the same. And, well and uh
0: yeah, and for those that haven 't i mean coffee pot um, is is sheer rock uh cliffs on either side and and the water in there is so turbulent, and you mentioned it before, there are flows or or areas where the the water's running up uh, upstream isn't it
1: oh yeah, um well, you go from a river that's you know a hundred feet or a, a hundred yards wide. And then all of a sudden it necks down into this little narrow canyon that's, you know, um, no more than 30 feet wide.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so you've you, you got to think, that's got to be pretty deep already right there
2: yep. in
1: that section of water. And and you've got a pretty good gradient at the same time. And it's it causes this hydraulic where it's just shooting you through that canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it's not a straight canyon. It, I mean, it's got plenty of plenty of curves in there and and corners and and um so it, it creates a lot of turbulence in this canyon and but its narrowest point is 12 feet wide wow. and your typical drift your typical drift boats you know at least 15 feet long mm-hmm. so if you breach that boat in coffee pot you're in trouble yeah. and everybody upstream of you is in trouble, too, because now they got to wait. they got to sit in eddies until they can clear that boat Mm -hmm. Uh, or wait for the river to just go ahead and twist it up and flush it through. Right. Uh, But you you get that much water going into a a little narrow canyon like that, where's that water going to go? It's going from the bottom straight up, and it just percolates right there in that spot in coffee pot. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've been sitting there in the coffee pot before, where it lifts my boat up a good eighteen to twenty inches, just out of nowhere. I mean, mm-hmm. I just raise up, and you know, it'll and it'll it'll pull you back a good ten feet in about a second. Oh, it's yeah, uh, it's pretty wild. You're at the mercy of the river right there in that spot, and mm-hmm. but it can bang you around on those canyon walls right right in there too, and and you just gotta. Oh, yeah got to match that river you know for every move it gives you you gotta you gotta match it so right um, it's just a dance it's right i i call it a coffee pot i call it the dance floor you're just a little dance you're 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 doing a little dance with with the river and and uh you just hope it has mercy on you you know
0: (laughs) exactly that's exactly right you you know what. I
1: definitely like to. Um, I like. I've been adding a lot of fiberglass to oh, my huh? boat for for added protection. Oh really? And um, so it keeps from getting punctures through the side of your hull.
2: Yeah. Um, uh,
1: I, I've had a couple of boat repairs in the last year where um, that's the exact spot where they actually punched a hole through the side of their boat, and. Um, so I've, I've actually started incorporating fiberglass on the sides of the hull, mm-hmm. inside and out, um, and especially with a fur boat, because, um, you, you know, Douglas Fur will check on you. It will get those little mm-hmm. hairline cracks, and right. um, that fiberglass holds the grain together, too. It keeps it from cracking. Oh, oh yeah. And, but that added strength, it doesn't add a whole lot of weight to the, to the boat, and... Yeah. Um, it doesn't take that much extra effort to go ahead and do that. When If you're already laying epoxy down, you might mm-hmm. as well throw some off down and put epoxy over it and, and sand it out nice. It makes for a nice finish, and that, that fiberglass weave just disappears with the resin, and, and you don't oh.
0: even see it. So, oh, oh, yeah. I'll be darned. I'll be darned. Well, that, though, that's cool. So do you have many tire kickers come through? You know, the, people are saying... You know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a drift boat, but I don't know. You know, so they come up and and see your boats and that sort of thing. Do you, do you get many of those folks through?
1: Oh yeah, I've had plenty of them over the years. <laughs> uh, everybody's got an opinion, and,
2: yeah, and you got to
1: you got to respect that. Um, but and, unless you've run them for years and and you've tested them out for yourself, it, it's it's hard to really quantify it. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, Every, everybody's got their, their. Everybody picks their poison. I I, uh, I prefer to wood, run a wood uh, wood boat, and yeah. uh, it's uh, it's just part of who I am and and what I what I prefer to run, and uh, sometimes it's it's hard to swallow when when you've got a whole lot of maintenance on your boat that you need to do and, and, Mm -hmm. but you're working on everybody else's boat, (laughs) you are like I'm just letting this thing go to crud and, and, uh, because they do, they, sometimes they, they deserve a little bit of maintenance. If you don't keep them out of the weather, that's Mm -hmm. what, that's what'll hurt them the quickest. right? Um, But I've got, I've got a couple wood boats out there that are, 20 years old that still look brand new. Really? Um, I got a buddy of mine down in California that bought a boat from me um, that, uh, that boat's 20 years old now. Wow. And it still looks beautiful and still in great condition. He's, he's definitely not running the water down there that, that we're running up here in Oregon. But mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he keeps it when he's not using it, he keeps it dry. He keeps it out of the sun and um, keeps it more in a, in a controlled environment. You know, it's it's basically in a lean-to shed, so it it's not like it's uh, it still gets the the uh, temperature swings and the the humid humidity swings and things like that. But uh, wood's hydroscopic, so there's there's not much you can do about that anyhow. Yeah. I mean, wood no matter how good you seal wood, it's still gonna have some kind of moisture content to it, mm-hmm. um, and with the temperature swings and the humidity swings, that, that the, the boat, even though it's, uh, even though you've cut the wood down, you've milled it up, you've kiln dried it, whatever, it's still got a moisture content. It's still a living, breathing piece of material.
0: It is, um, yeah.
1: and it. Um, it does react, so um, there's there's lots of different things that you have to consider when you're when you're designing a boat and, and how you assemble it, the types of materials that you use, things like that, and right, um, you have to kind of engineer for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there's there's a world of materials out there that you can use that just weren't available 50 years ago either.
2: That's so, so true. Pretty darn good boat, and um, but
1: but you also have to look back at the history too, and the way that they built some of those boats and and the construction methods that they used, because you'll see some boats that have been on the water for 50 years that you can't believe the shape that they're in. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, for for instance, I've got a a friend of ours upriver. Um, some people may remember the name Leroy Pruitt um, oh, yeah. he died a few, he died a few years back but his wife Shelly um, still takes care of their boat um, they've got a little double ender it's a huh. 13 and a half foot uh, Woody Hinman drift boat that uh, was actually built by a guy in Eugene it wasn't it was a Woody Hinman design but it was built by uh, I can't remember the story for sure now, but anyhow, it was a good friend of Leroy's, and um, this boat's over 50 years old, and wow. well, it's still it's still sound as can be. And it was mm-hmm. it was probably 10 years ago that they ran it down the down the uh, Wild and Scenic section of the Rogue. No, uh, get- Leroy wanted to take Shelley down there, and she told me the whole story. She. couldn't believe it she was in awe that they you know they used to make a living running down through that river and, and oh yeah uh, she it blew her away but uh
0: really that's incredible that is incredible yeah they yeah, uh, yeah if, if you take care of them they uh, they can last many lifetimes can't they
1: oh definitely yeah i mean there's yeah. there's boats that have been handed down from generation to generation Mm-hmm. Um, and they've, and they've been cared for, but they've also been, they, they've, they've run some extremely difficult rivers too. So,
0: oh, yeah. um, Now you, now the, you were saying, you were saying that you, you, uh, have ran, uh, run some, what class three, class four water in yours. Oh yeah.
1: Um, like we, we, uh, we run over on the Deschutes quite a bit. Um, um. Uh, the the Wild and Scenic Rogue, um, and that's that's all Class Three, Class Four water over there. Um, mm-hmm. The McKenzie, we uh, most of my business that I do is on the McKenzie. So I mean, yeah. I probably run thirty thirty plus trips on the McKenzie a year, um, mm-hmm. just guiding. That's not including just private trips and having fun with my kids and stuff. Right. But, uh, and you you run that river enough you you don't you don't bump rocks much anyhow, but right. uh, you get up on the upper section around um, up from a lolly down to McKenzie bridge um uh, during low water you're you're gonna be hitting rocks and you mm-hmm. have to know your routes and things like that yep. and they're still you know you you beat them up i mean i Oh, this this new boat that I'm running right now. I've I've only had it on the water for five or six, five or six weeks now, and uh-huh. and I've already got quite a bit of scratches and dings in it already, just because I, I I'm not exactly easy on my boats with the with yeah. the typical water that I run. But um, they're they're nothing that's gonna gonna hurt it by any means. It's it's built well and right. still looks beautiful, but.
0: Yeah. building building character so they say right
1: absolutely i love <laughs> it i am I, you got if you're going to be a wood boat owner and you're going to run rivers you have to you have to be able to embrace it or it's just going to be a trailer queen is yeah. all it's going to be
2: yeah, yeah. They're,
0: built,
1: they're built to run the river
0: yeah so you, you were saying that you guide mainly on the McKinsey, is that right
1: yeah mainly on the McKinsey and uh, Get out on the, on the Deschutes in the spring, uh, play around over there during the salmon fly hatch and the tail end of the salmon fly hatch when the caddis and the, and the uh, mayflies start hitting over there. Mm-hmm. Um, we stick with it a bit, and, and once in a while we'll just go over there just when the fishing starts flowing down. We'll, we'll go over just to run the river and do a couple days um, just camping. Oh, uh-huh. just to be just to be on the water because it's it, it's just a beautiful yeah piece of water to run over there and um and then of course in the fall um the rogue there's nothing like the rogue it's right it's, it's a pretty unique river here in oregon and it's just it's amazing it's, if nobody's mm-hmm. ever done the wild and scenic rogue they gotta they gotta do it i mean it's, gotta do it
0: once yeah exactly yeah well now uh, there's and for, yeah, for our listeners back east uh, or in places where uh, they're maybe not as familiar with drift boats, drift boats in the Mackenzie River have uh, a, sort of a common history, don't they?
1: Oh, a- absolutely. Um, uh, the uh, McKinsey River drift boat kind of started developing back in the uh, back in the twenties here. Yep. Uh, and they they ran they ran what was uh it was kind of a it was it was a lap sided boat uh, it was basically two big spruce planks uh it was a pretty low sided boat i mean the things wa- must have weighed four or five hundred pounds they
2: were,
1: and there was there wasn't any boat ramps back then either so these these guys would drag their boats through the woods to get back to the river and mm-hmm. and run the river well in the 30s, uh, just, just around when uh, World War II started coming around, the end of World War I, World War II started coming about, and manufacturing started um, getting a little bit bigger, um, and they developed the uh, fur plywood over here. Uh, they started um, building the guys who worked in the mills here in Springfield, they would take some of those sheets home with them, and they, back then you could get sheets that were 16 feet long.
0: Holy mackerel!
1: What, oh yeah, they and that's what they skinned a lot of those um, bomber planes with was that that Ooh. quarter inch for plywood. Right. And these guys would take them home that uh, from work, and they would they started building boats with them. Yeah. And they learned that you could build a lot lighter boats, a pretty strong boat with this plywood and Mm -hmm. it bent well. They didn't have to do anything special with the plywood to really get it to bend. And, um, it was still a frame construction boat, like they were doing before, but they could get a lot more better hole shapes out of it too. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
1: um, that's kind of, that's kind of how the McKinsey river drift boat started developing and just evolving, um, way back when, and that, right. that, first, that first plywood boat that Woody Hinman built back in the day was in 1939, and it was a, it was a little 15-foot boat, It had a fit, so 15 feet around the sheer of the boat, that's not the okay. length of it, but right. that's around the whole gunwale, if you put a paper around the gunwale, it was, it was right at about 15 feet, and so it wound up being about 13 feet long. Um, and it had quite a bit of rocker to it, so it really contoured to the waves on the McKenzie.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: was kind of that was kind of the birth of of the uh, of the of the true drift boat design.
2: Yeah.
1: And then the, you know he started playing around with that a little bit more, and they added a transom to them, and because mm-hmm. they were just two pointed ends back then right and they started messing around with that and and next thing you know you're running a 16 foot drift boat and yeah that's kind of that's kind of the basis for the design of the of of the drift boat as we know it today yeah and um there's definitely a whole people have done with that and you know, it's just changing your frame angles and and some of the lengths of your bottom frame and things like that, mm-hmm. and kind of contouring the boat and shaping it. And, uh, but yeah, well, you it's know. it's uh, got quite a history,
2: and that's that's one of the things that we're trying
1: to do here at Hayes Custom Boats is is preserve that history and keep it alive on on our oh. rivers here and and anybody else who wants to keep it alive on their rivers as well.
0: Right. Well, gosh, I you know. I, if you're an enthusiast like myself and, and, and many people are, you know, about drift boats and, and about fishing, you know, for big red side uh, rainbow trout, and, and in particular, if you're a fly fisherman, you know, your, your services are, you know, uh, uh, hard to match on the McKinsey River. You know, can, you know can, just I'm thinking here. You know, gosh, it'd be an incredible experience to come and fish with you, learn about the wooden drift boats, you know, uh, on the on the river where that, that particular boat got birthed, if you may. And what right. a great day on the water that would be.
1: Yeah, oh, it really is. And it's nostalgic. It, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the biggest things about it. So nostalgic to run on the birthplace of the, of the drift boat, um in a in a traditional style drift boat um fly fishing for for red side trout on the mckenzie river i mean there's um it's it's great i love it i could do it every day if i if i could um that's kind of the goal i'd love to be on the river 365 but
2: Uh that
1: that'll probably never happen but um it's worth it's worth going after for sure
0: but it's a good goal absolutely it is
1: so how is the yeah. fishery
0: now on? Hard the to McKinsey.
1: do when you're raising a family, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, true. so true. So so how's the fishery now on the McKenzie?
1: The fishery, um, has actually been really good um, over the last 15-20 years now. I've I've really seen a big increase, and in, and I can't say for sure. I haven't I haven't talked with the biologists much about. Uh, about the health, um, our, yeah. our district biologist, Jeff Ziller, and uh, done some work with him, volunteer work over the years with him on some trout studies and things like that. And mm-hmm. um, But personally, from what I've seen, um, I have seen an increase of wild trout over the last 20 years uh, where I feel like the health of our river is improving um year after year Mm -hmm. Uh, we we obviously have our our middle section of the river from um down down um, the upper end of springfield clear up to about blue river uh, it's kind of the area that that's stocked with hatchery fish and um i i used to think that the hatchery fish would really put a damper on the food supply for the wild fish and things like that. But I've I've actually seen the opposite of that um, mm-hmm. from from my own personal experience on the river. I'm I'm not a scientist. I'm not a biologist. Um, but but my own personal um, my own personal examples that I've seen um, just the fish that I've brought to hand. Um, like like yesterday on the river, I was guiding on the river yesterday, and we had about a 50-50 of wild and hatchery yesterday. Really? And, uh, yeah, and that's actually the first time that I've seen this year. Um, I've had it happen in uh, previous years, but um, uh, we're we're getting towards the end of our stocking season, of course, too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. this week is the last week that we actually plant on the river. Oh, okay. For the... the rest of the season Um, right um and we are planning less and that's due to the army corps engineers have cut funding Mm -hmm. and things like that so we're not putting as many fish in the water Um, but um, i've seen an increase of of wild fish in our middle section of the river um, a huge increase on the lower section Mm -hmm. uh, where in the spring, that's an amazing fishery. Uh, yeah. lots yeah. of big cutthroat, big red sides. The, the the red sides have come back from spawning, so they're nice and colored up. They're really pretty, and I and mean, you're getting into you know 20 inch fish on little bitty dry flies. Right, And that's a real treat. That's mm-hmm. a real treat because they disappear during the summer. They're a lot harder to target in the summertime.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: the lower water and stuff but um, yesterday we ended on we ended on a good note yesterday on our trip with the 18 and a half inch red side on the Ah. middle section of the river and it was the most beautiful fish I've seen all season long it was just gorgeous really uh, I was really surprised the clients didn't want to continue fishing they're like no we're done we're ending on the we're ending on a good note. That's it. We're happy. Let's head for the barn. I'm like, okay.
0: <laughs> okay. And, yeah. Uh, I'll be there. But
1: it, yeah. it might be too that it was pouring rain all day too. So uh,
0: yeah.
1: it was the first good heavy rain of the the end of the summer. So
0: right. It was
1: a, it was a pretty wet day. <laughs> what,
0: I'm, I'm just curious. What's what's the biggest fish that you've caught over the last five years?
1: The biggest. The biggest red side that I've caught was 23 inches long. Yeah, and that was on a size 14. Um, uh, uh, oh gosh, what was that? It was during the uh, March brown hatch. It was a, it was a, a size 14 cripple uh-huh. um, dry fly for the March brown hatch,
2: and yeah.
1: uh, just came up and just crushed it and. I didn't even realize how big he was. He just kind of barely slurped it on the surface there, and and uh, and I felt a pretty good weight on that thing. But he was also a tired fish, uh, mm-hmm. so he, he made it a little easier getting to the net. But when I got him in the net, I couldn't believe how big he was. It's like, oh my gosh! But
2: uh, yeah, it, it was it was yeah. a beautiful fish.
0: Uh, isn't, isn't that an amazing experience? I mean, you know, a, a lot. You know, most fish are pretty, right? You know, they got a nice. You know, uh, chrome to them and that sort of thing. But you bring up one of those red sides to the boat, and it, I mean, it, it's just—it's hard to explain how beautiful that fish is. They are absolutely yeah. incredible, and um, you, you're with part that
2: of the
1: dark olive back. They're all spotted up, and they got that nice blood red kind of streak down the side of them with those yeah. with those rosy cheeks. And oh gosh, they're gorgeous fish.
0: Yeah. And then the icing to the cake is you're you're typically picking those up on top water and watching the strike and oh man you know they're, they're just something about that
1: yeah yeah it's uh it's pretty special um, yes
0: yes it is yes it is so you, you said that you fish the mckenzie then uh, year-round it's it's open year-round now huh? uh the lower section we
1: we can so from leeberg dam down um, to the confluence, we can fish it year-round.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's catch and release from October 31st to um, the last weekend in April, uh-huh. uh, and and then that's when um, you can start fishing for hatchery fish. Uh, okay. The wild fish are all protected; you can't keep any of them. Right. Uh, but uh, there's 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 a lot there's a lot of great fishing the the upper section of the river that's got a pretty good gradient to it it's it's more intermediate to expert fly fishermen up there of course Mm
2: -hmm. um, because
1: you're you're on the move i mean uh, typically the oarsman isn't netting the fish for you the the uh, fishermen are netting their own fish because you're it's non-stop you're you're running down the river, and you're you're cast into the buckets. You maybe have one or two casts to each little spot on mm-hmm. your. You are bring your A game if you're going to catch it. <laughs> and and have good presentation. But oh yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's the most beautiful part of the McKinsey you'd ever float up there. It's 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 pretty it's pretty incredible.
0: Well, it, it sounds like your your passion and my passion for the McKenzie are similar. It, it is a magical place to fit. Yes. Um, yeah. I, um, I don't
1: know that I could move, uh, move away and be anywhere else. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I can maybe move away a little further, but I've got to be within a stone throw of the McKenzie or, or I'm not <laughs> going to go very far. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Well, Jason, in, in regards to, um, Uh, fishing the McKinsey. Um, Do you uh, uh, encourage people that have not fly fished before or fished out of a drift boat to uh, uh, have you take them down the river?
1: Absolutely. It's a great river to learn. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a a lot of different sections for um, different skill sets. Um, And there's a lot of different methods um, that you can use um, even with somebody who hasn't fly-fished before, yeah. um, can pick it up fairly quick. Um, it's it's crazy how many different styles of fly-fishing there is that you can use to uh, teach people how to how to cast and and minimize the frustration level that can happen. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, versus say your your typical. Um, uh, fly fishing methods, um, you know, casting. Most people think it's all about casting and and uh, getting these long tight loops out there and everything else. It, it's not necessary half the time. When you're when you're talking about fishing from a drift boat, it's it's completely different from fishing from the bank right. or wading out in the water. Um, it's it's much more intimate um, mm-hmm. out on the water surface, and you've you've got to really, your, uh, your angle of approach to the water when you're casting is much higher than you would be if you're wading in the water. Right. It's very visual at the front of a drift boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oftentimes if you've got somebody who's never fly fished before and they want to start learning, uh, I've started using a, uh, I don't know if you've ever used a 10 car rod before. I have not no okay so there's those those uh, japanese style fly fishing rods that they they don't even have a reel on them
2: oh really? uh, they're okay. they're, ti- they're,
1: tipi- they're typically used for small streams and you know somebody who goes backpacking in somewhere and and wants mm-hmm. to have minimal gear and things like that but they actually work really well at the front of a drift boat for teaching somebody line control and uh-huh. uh, presentation on the water it keeps your cache short um, right you you can nymph with them you can dry fly with them or you can throw a dry fly out there with a dropper um, and fish lots of different types of water from the front of the drift boat and um, it keeps your cache short so you can really see what you're doing and oftentimes when we're nymph, nymphing off the side of a drift boat we're five or six feet off the side of a drift boat when we're nymphing and we're hooking up to fish consistently
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: you'd think the drift boat would spook it but it really doesn't right uh, the one the 18 and a half inch fish that we caught yesterday was he was four or five feet off the side of the boat when we casted to it running off of a, a thingamabobber really? so uh, yeah probably about four feet down on a thing my bobber, and he just nailed it and and uh, but yeah it's it 's a great way, especially for kids, because you start throwing in that frustration level of of uh, trying to control your line and a reel and everything else and trying to and mm-hmm. mend, mend too much line things like that it can it can get frustrating if the skill sets um, not there and um, expectations a little bit too high for the situation they don't have the skill yet right Um, it can be frustrating and and people lose interest quick but um, it's a great training tool uh, to use Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of my biggest things that I have trouble with with clients in the boat is they're they're just constantly trying to get too much line out there right right and um, and if the skill set's not there, it's uh, it, it can be frustrating. And 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 then not to mention it's frustrating for the guide because now you're you're uh, fixing tangles in the leader all day long when you when you could be catching fish. So. <laughs> well, it,
0: and and <laughs> and it's dangerous too. You're ducking all the time, aren't you? Is that 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 fly comes whizzing by your head?
1: Yeah, I've been a couple of times.
0: <laughs> I'll bet so. Sorry, are you, uh, I,
1: always, I always wear eye protection. That's 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 my yeah. number one thing. I don't care if it's raining out. I still wear my sunglasses to protect my mm-hmm. eyes because you don't you don't want to fly in your eye.
0: That'd be a bad day. That would be a really bad day. Now, now, are you fishing uh, 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 many uh, salmon and steelhead trips on the McKinsey then? Um, I do steelhead from time to time. I uh-huh. I've never
1: targeted steelhead um on the Mackenzie, other than a few times with some friends and that was mm-hmm. that was in gear yeah um, when when the salmon get up this high i typically don't fish for them because they've made such a journey already
0: right
2: that,
1: um, and, and they're they're fairly dark once they get to the Mackenzie, anyhow and
2: mm-hmm.
1: i personally like to catch bright fish when i go after salmon
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, i i stick to the coastal rivers and uh and that's about it yeah Uh, and that's and that's for fun i don't i don't guide any coastal rivers uh currently so um i kind of take that season off because that's in the fall and um in the spring so i don't don't get out on the coastal rivers very often and when i do it's usually targeting steelhead that's my favorite fish to fish for Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately we've had a horrible steelhead run this year yeah um, on Kenzie, and um, haven't had too many opportunities for them this year uh, right we did we did uh we went out for a quick evening float oh i I'd say it' was about a month ago. took my boys out with me on the water and and uh, we had about four hours that we could do a quick float so we we floated from Taylor landing down the Hendricks bridge mm mm-hmm. and we had one little section. We, we saw this hen jumping out of the water. She was a nice hen, probably about 30 inches long, and, and she was consistently jumping straight out of the water like a torpedo um, right. after, after these mayflies hatching just above this uh, tree branch. And they were just swarming around there, and she kept coming up and nabbing a couple each jump. And, and it was so consistent. I was like, she's feeding, and she's not going anywhere. And we were about 100 yards back from her when we saw her. And uh, all we had was our trout rods, our five weights. And mm-hmm. we said, well, if we're lucky, we might be able to get her to grab on something, and we might be able to get that little fly to hook up. Right. And um, I said, but we're going to have to wear her out. It's going to take a while, and we're going to be getting in at dark. So as soon as we, if we do hook her and we land her, we're going to have to go Straight for the barn. That's and the boys were like, "No, it's worth the it's worth the risk. Let's do it." So we uh, we uh, snuck up on her and we started making some casts. And sure enough, she grabbed six times on those flies, on those trout flies, oh. and we couldn't get any of them to stick. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It, well, it's it's a little harder with those smaller flies to hook a mm-hmm. hook a with mm-hmm. that mouth harder than a, you know, 15-inch trout, so. Right. Uh, but, well, the, yeah, it it's okay. It worked out, so we, we ended up getting the trout fish more
0: <laughs> after now, she I, lost
1: interest. But.
0: Now, you know darn well you're going to hear that story every Thanksgiving for the next 30 years.
1: But we might. I, I hope so. Yeah. I'm hoping yeah. to create a lot more memories. They'll forget about that one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And how old are your boys?
1: They're eleven and uh, eleven and fourteen.
0: Oh perfect. And
1: my daughter is twenty-one months.
0: Oh my! Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah, we
1: got a little gap there.
0: Yeah, just a little. That's all right. You're yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that'll that'll be fun to get your daughter involved in the sport, won't
1: it? Oh boy, that that girl's already a water dog. She'll she'll sit out there in the boat for six hours, content, no problem. Really
0: really no kid
1: 21 months oh yeah she's engaged the whole time she loves it so. wow
0: wow oh that's terrific man
1: yeah hopefully yeah. it stays that way
0: <laughs> yeah yes yeah. so true so true let her start dating about 38 you know mhm but uh, <laughs> well good well good for you well jason we sure appreciate the chance to talk with you today this has been a whole lot of fun and, and uh uh you know you live uh, an incredible life of, of building boats as your passion and then and then not only building them but getting them on the water and then sharing your passion you know uh, uh, for fishing uh, with so many people over the, you know a given year and uh, I know it's hard work a lot of people don't understand you know a guide's life because uh, they only see you on the water and of course you get those comments all the time well jason I'd love to do what you do. All you do is fish all day, right? Well, that's all I do half of my day,
1: right? Well, yeah. Well, on top of that, I work a full-time job as well, and I'm raising a family, and, you know, right. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to keep the wife happy, too. So, you know, it's that's that's a full-time job, too. It I, is. I sleep a little bit. I sleep a little bit once in a while.
0: Well, good. Well, good. Well, well, Jason, how do people get a hold of you if they want to talk about uh, a drift boat or uh, booking you for a guided trip or something like that? Uh,
1: well, um, if if somebody's interested in booking a, a trip, um, I, I'm right here in Springfield, Oregon. Uh, phone number's 541-912-9146. That dial's direct. I have that phone on me all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, if want to... If, if, Queries into um, any kind of trips anybody has questions things like that they can always contact me through social media mm-hmm. um, I have a I have a web uh, I, I'm building a website now I haven't launched it yet uh-huh. um, but um, social media I have a Facebook page I have an Instagram page um, Instagram is Hayes uh, Hayes custom boats yeah um, and then Facebook it's Hayes custom Wood boats and guide service. Um, it, it's pretty easy to find. You bet. But uh, hoping here in the next month or so, I'll have my website set up and, and start um, building that and getting some um, traffic through that for the uh, following year.
2: We're going
1: to work on trying to get um, into a full time guiding schedule this next season. There you go. Uh, and then um, hopefully hopefully my brother, I, I've got my little brother who's apprenticing in the shop right now to help out um, with the wood boats, that he'll be able to uh, kind of help out during the summertime when I'm on the water. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see how it evolves. It's still an evolving business. It, it always is. It doesn't matter how long you've been running a business. Uh, if you're doing multiple activities, it, it's always it's always about serving your customer, right? So yes, it uh, is. You, uh, you, you go where the demand is. So whether it's boats or guiding, I'm going to make sure that we're available no matter
0: what. So Terrific. Terrific. Well, Hey Jason, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your busy schedule. Um, I know it's uh, that time of year for you. Uh, we wish you the absolute best in, uh, growing this, this, uh, really cool business that you've got going along with, uh, you know, uh, uh, booking, uh, uh, yourself. I uh, would imagine that you're at a number of the trade shows coming up in the wintertime. Are you not? Uh,
1: actually, no, uh, I haven't even thought about that. I, I I've thought about maybe here, uh, locally, um, Uh, here at the Eugene Boat and Sportsman Show, maybe next year setting up a booth. Uh, I thought about maybe Portland. I think Portland's in the fall, isn't it?
0: No, Portland is the second week in February. And uh, did you know that that now is considered the second largest sportsman show in the world? Um, They have so, so many people going through there. The only one that's larger is the NRA show in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, wow. But other than that, um, it, Portland is a huge venue. And uh, and, th- and that'd be a great place for you to, you know, to go at least hang out.
1: Yeah. Uh, I might just have to check that out next February.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jason, again, thank you so much, my friend, tight lines and uh, uh, the absolute best to you. Uh,
1: thank you, Ted. Thanks for having me.